Welcome to today's episode of LSHB's Weird Era podcast. I'm talking to Beth Morgan, whose debut novel, A Touch of Jen, is out now. Beth Morgan grew up outside Sherman, Texas, and studied writing as an undergraduate at Sarah Lawrence College. She's currently completing an MFA at Brooklyn College. Her work has been published in the Iowa Review and the Kenyan Review Online. In A Touch of Jen, Remy and Alicia, a couple of insecure service workers, are not particularly happy together, but they are bound by a shared obsession with Jen, a beautiful former co-worker of Remy's, who now seems to be following her bliss as a globe-trotting jewelry designer. In and outside the bedroom, Remy and Alicia's entire relationship revolves around fantasies of Jen. Soon in the novel, the two unexpectedly find themselves sharing a surfing trip with, yes, Jen. There, Remy and Alicia try a little too hard to fit into Jen's exalted social circle, but violent desires and class resentment bubble beneath the surface of this beachside paradise, threatening to erupt. As small disturbances escalate into outright horror, we find ourselves tumbling with Remy and Alicia into an uncanny alternate reality, one shaped by their most unspeakable, deviant, and intoxicating fantasies. Hi, Beth. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. I think given the very specific millennial context of the book, it's fair to say in all reality, as I told you pre-recording, sort of, uh, it had me shook Um, (laughs) for so many reasons. um, I found myself actually having a really hard time um, sitting with the book at first. It's a novel full of unease. Um, It's also funny because it's honest. And I always say that that's what, you know, humor really is, the truth. But in its honesty... I just hated hanging out with these characters. <laughs> like I just was, I, I, it was kind of difficult for me to sit with them. Um, I mm-hmm. didn't think they were great people. I, I'm sure that was part of the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and not like in an easy way where we could just dismiss them as bad guys. It's not a kind of, you know, uh, classical fictional tale where, where that's the case. They're just the definition possibly of unlikable characters and reader listeners can't hear but I kind of have air quotes going on so my question though is what do you believe is the source of pleasure for a reader in spending time with these kinds of characters my god that's so I mean that's so interesting hearing you talk about it right because it's sort of like such an interesting it's such a different experience for me writing the characters in a way because I have this kind of distance which Um, at at the same time I have distance. And then on the other hand, I also am much more like at the same time, I'm much more immersed in the characters, you know, like it's, it's sort of, it's both of those things at once. And like, it's interesting because people, readers do have such different reactions to them. Like, I love that you're sort of talking to me about the, the emotions that you're feeling, the sort of sense of unease that you're feeling, because a lot of the time people aren't that honest or they're just not quite that specific. They're like, Oh, like I hated these characters or something like that. Like, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that I just sort of wrote them and was like, okay, well people will react to them the way that they react to them. You know, like, I think I was definitely like when I'm writing, I'm so, I just really think about trying to create as much space as possible for 
the reader to have their own personal reaction to them, you know? And I, and I definitely try to create characters where they feel recognizable. They feel like people that you could interact with in real life. And often real people in real life are hard to be around or they make you uncomfortable or something. And so, yeah, I mean, as far as the pleasure of the characters go, it's sort of like hard for me to say, right? Like in a way, almost you would be better equipped to say where, where the pleasure comes from, because I think it's different for different people. Cause I mean, I think some, some people will say, you know, that they sort of felt that the characters were weirdly relatable or, or something like that. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I think for just for me as the writer, I, I don't know that I get pleasure specifically about out of these characters being, you know, quote unquote, unlikable or like being sort of uneasy because I sort of just the act of writing is one of getting to be a different character and getting to be someone different. And that in and of itself is always feels a little bit liberatory. Even if these people are very uncomfortable, it feels like I get to, you know, exist outside of myself for a little while. And that's, that's just, that automatically feels kind of exciting and, and, and different. That totally makes sense. But you know, the discourse, like I'm referring to, right? Like just maybe it's, it's, um, you know, sort of winded down in the past few years, but it was quite a a topical conversation in in like the publishing Mm. world. Like, what does it mean to be writing an unlikable character? Not even just in Mm. publishing and TV and especially when it comes to female characters. And I do think that there's something to be said about the value of a a nuanced character who isn't necessarily a good guy because none of us are, you know, the good guys. Um, But, uh, but in terms of what you look for in your reading, maybe not in this book, but in, in terms of literature that appeals to you, um, is that something that comes up? Is that not even on your mind? Um, What's your palette like with that, with that? Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, I think if you, I guess I generally, I sort of know the discourse that you're talking about in a way. And I think that I was kind of not really, I don't think that I was always really like paying attention to to the discourse as it existed in like publishing, but definitely in my MFA program, it's something that that came up a lot. And a lot of the time it would come up for people to just dismiss it, for people to be like, well, I don't want to talk about whether characters are unlikable or not, because that's not constructive or something, you know, something like that, which, you know, it's, uh, I, I think that's sort of like a valid thing to say. Um, yeah, I mean, but it's, it's definitely something that people talk about. It's something you sort of can't avoid, especially if you have like likable or unlikable characters or whatever. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, I guess for me personally as a reader, I don't think that that's what I'm measuring so much as I'm measuring the kind of, the sort of how honest these characters feel. Cause you were talking about honesty earlier. And I definitely think that that's, that that's something that, um, that's something that I'm thinking about. And that's something that I value is whether or not these characters feel honest and recognizable and, and true to life. Your prose is also quite concise. It's very matter of fact, um, not, you know, not everyone has mm-hmm. the same style mm-hmm. of prose. Uh, your characters do this, then wonder this, then think mm-hmm. that um, in these sort of blunt phrases. But the things that they're saying that you as the writer are revealing to us are so intimate. Mm-hmm. I think that in this way, the form of the book 
is part of his unease. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not just the content, not just the unlikable or likable characters. Yeah, yeah. Is that your natural writing style or an intentional and oh. carefully <laughs> thought out way? I guess I'm wondering if we yeah. can expect this prose from like future Beth Morgan fiction. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so <laughs> for these characters. I'm this so content. glad you asked that question because I was thinking about that recently. Like it's it's not my natural prose style at all. It's like really it's really different. And it was like a very it was honestly a pretty early decision when writing the book. Um, and it was, I don't even know how based it was in intuition or instinct or whatever, but I did know early on that I wanted this, I wanted the novel to have very cinematic themes and I wanted it to be very much in conversation with the screen. And so I decided it would also be just like a fun challenge for me. I was like, I want to make these characters, I want to do as much as possible to make them to represent them just based on exterior signs as much as possible. I want to sort of not lean on interiority as much. I want to make it almost like you're watching them. And that was very much that my intent was, was really, I guess it was sort of tonal maybe, but I don't think I was thinking about it explicitly as tonal. I was just kind of going instinctively with what, with what felt right and thinking about the cinematic themes. And then yeah, I guess it sort of has this kind of creepy effect or something. Yeah, it has some kind of effect. Um, yeah, and yeah. It's interesting that you even brought that up. Was one of my questions outside of, you know, the obvious financial benefits, you know, more so as a question about form again, in terms of storytelling and the literal book tagline that compares this novel as a Tessa Mushbag meets David Cronenberg, is this a story you'd like to see adapted on screen? And now I'm thinking about how it kind of does read like a, with screen directions, right? Like that's, that's yeah, what's yeah, going yeah. on with the language. Um, uh, not to be too mysterious, but... <laughs> But yes, I uh, I would like to see this adapted on screen, hypothetically. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yes. But that's absolutely yeah. <laughs> like what I was picking up uh, when reading the book. Um, it's also uh, being billed as a millennial book. Um, I mean, oh, it's yeah. about millennials. Like the the plot line wouldn't really exist without social media. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 300 or so pages long. <laughs> How many times do you think the word like and or cool are in this book? Oh my God, I shiver to think. Maybe you know. <laughs> I don't know. Are you about to reveal to me? <laughs> I don't actually. I had a moment where I was like, I should go back and do this count. Because the the dialogue, yeah, the storyline is millennial. Yes, I understand why it's being billed as a millennial book. It is very much set in the sort of contemporary time, but the dialogue is so beautifully natural in the way that a lot of contemporary authors um, are, are accomplishing right now in the way that older writers would not be able to because they do not live in our, uh, you know, current discourse. But it's a lot of just, yeah, I don't know. Remy, why are you being so weird, right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's very, yeah. um, which I think is, I don't know. Kudos to you. I find that really hard to translate literally. I don't know if you found that as a challenge writing like that. Yeah. I mean, I like I read the whole book out loud like twice, maybe maybe three times or something. But I I was very like I was very concentrated. I did concentrate a lot on like trying to make the words sound realistically spoken. Um, And I mean, the prose too, not just the not just the dialogue. But I mean, because it's, you know, it's a good exercise for anything that you write to read it out loud and see if it sounds silly or, or, or unrealistic or something, but it was definitely something I was thinking about. And sometimes when I have to read the book aloud now, you know, when I do a reading or something, there are times where I've got like, 
I'm like, oh, I just wish I could like change that little thing a little bit. Like, I just wish I think it would be a little bit more natural this way or so, or something like that. Um, I mean, it is kind of challenging to just because I don't like I don't know, like I don't really talk like these characters sometimes. I mean, maybe maybe some maybe my friends would disagree, but like but like I don't. I think I'm I'm generally a little bit more specific than they are. So it's sort of hard to, that was part of the challenge was figuring out how to speak in their voices in a way that's not, that's not like, you know, a sort of highly verbal writer's voice, um, if that makes sense. On page 112, Remy is sort of interrogating Jen about what she could possibly like about her boyfriend, Horace. He suggests that she doesn't seem very comfortable around him. Jen responds, just because you're free of one type of judgment doesn't mean you're free of other types. Can you talk to me about your interest in the concept of judgment? It's such a huge theme in the book. Yeah, I mean, I think that the way that judgment really operates in the book often is the way that judgment often operates in, in life, but I think just specifically in this book is, is very much coming from the judger's insecurity, right? Like, I think that that's a big part of it, is that I think that the way that so many of these characters' insecurities manifest is through judgment of others. I think that when people feel insecure, they often want to figure out a way to feel superior to others. So they'll sometimes manufacture that. And I think that's definitely what's happening a lot here. But I mean, I think these characters are also just kind of very sensitive to status and therefore sort of trying to use judgment as a tool to, you know, kind of carve out and sculpt their own type of status and, and try to like present them, give a sort of narrative of themselves to other people. Did you ever watch Pen15? I didn't. (laughs) There's a character in there that reminds me of Alicia. Oh, wow. Um, That's so interesting. But I guess I'll, 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 and you'll tell me if this is like an apt comparison to you or not, but the sort of, the, the role that that character plays in Pen15, you know, you know, the basis of the show, it's, uh, it's, it's about like being a teenager uh, yes. in the 2000s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this one character that just sort of enters the friend group and is just kind of embarrassingly earnest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... <laughs> vulnerable and mm-hmm. just kind of is the girl that like links arms with everyone and was like well now we're best friends and says yes. like I love you before like anyone has ever said I love you to anybody <laughs> yeah. in your friend group is that does that sound like Alicia to you <laughs> um maybe a little bit I mean obviously it's yeah it's it's funny because I feel like that's that is sort of that is a little bit the vibe I mean it's kind of a bit more like for tv but yeah that's definitely sort of the vibe and I mean I think it's that sort of like intense I love you already is like maybe a little further than she would necessarily go, but it's sort right. of in the right direction for sure. And she's like, yeah, I mean, I think in some ways, you know, talking about likable or unlikable characters, the way that I sort of, the reason I, I you know, feel that, that Alicia can be endearing when she is endearing is because of this vulnerability. I think that that vulnerability does, even when it's kind of creepy, there's something that feels so sincere and intense about it. And like, I just think that vulnerability is, you know, is, is just, yeah, I don't know. I think it can be an endearing quality. Although of course, like I'm sort of playing with that a little bit because I'm taking it to a bit of an extreme at times. The plot twist in this novel is triggered with this insertion of magic realism, which is right about when all of my friends started mass texting me as they were reading it. (laughs) 
Are oh, you <laughs> are you a fan of this genre? Were you always intending on on inputting, uh, you know, some sense of magic realism into this text, um, or or did you not know that you were going to go there from the beginning? Um. Oh my god. You know, people. I'm surprised people don't ask me this question more, and like, I don't. Um, I don't super remember, but I do kind of think that. No, no, I know the answer to this. I'm just like, now, I, now I'm sort of like remembering. I didn't totally know that I was going to go into this genre place. Um, like, or I mean, whatever you want to call it, like surreal science fiction, you know, something like that. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that it was sort of going to go into this kind of more science fiction-y place or whatever, like immediately. But as the book was sort of progressing, I was looking at what I was trying to develop with the characters and the options available to me on this plane of reality were not super interesting. And I was like, and then I was also thinking about what I was writing about, which is that like, and I don't want to spoil things obviously, but like um, at a certain point in the book, one of the characters thinks that they have a destiny that is going to, that they have a destiny waiting for them that they can accomplish. And even though I wasn't thinking about it explicitly in this way, what I was sort of intuiting and trying to go for and feeling the urge for was the, was the need to take the madness and sort of insanity of being in a mindset where you believe you have a destiny or you, where you have a destiny and, um, and convey that in the reality, you know, because when you, that type of mindset obviously alters the way that you interact with the world and your perceptions of the world. And so I sort of wanted the reality to alter a little bit to accommodate that kind of mindset, if that makes sense. And so I took it to this, to this new place. It's funny though, because there's a character that I would call like the goopiest character. I don't know if that <laughs> makes sense um, to you. Um, and so with, with her and, and this very conversation in, in mind with in my reading, I wanted to ask you and, and considering this is a millennial build book and considering in the kind of wellness culture that, you know, we, we all live in right now. Um, mm-hmm. I was wondering what your genuine thoughts are on the concept of manifestation. Oh, um, oh man, my genuine thoughts. Um, well, I mean, I think that the way that manifestation is operating in this book, and I think the way that it is often operates, uh, the way that it often operates in the sort of ways that we're used to seeing it in a kind of like goopy atmosphere, as you're talking about, are essentially um, are essentially narcissistic, right? I think that they're very much about individual destiny and about um, and they're about individual success, which is, you know, I think that it, it it is helpful for some people because I think you know some people do really want to feel like they can you know, they can, they can craft the reality around them. But, you know, I think that certainly the book allows for, you know, I think, I think the book sort of points towards the illusory nature of the belief that you, that one person can change their entire life, you know, or that like, or that you can completely redo your entire reality um, just through your own actions and your own kind of beliefs. I mean, I think that that there's something kind of melancholy and lonely about that idea also that you're just sort of alone in it and it, and it's also like pretty american i will say 
for sure. Individualism and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just sort of like, you know, the idea that all the burden of change in your life has to rest on you and your ability to sort of make it happen. Like to the point where you can, you know, to the point where you're resorting to sometimes magical thinking in order to try and make that happen and believe that you are powerful enough to, to change, you know, to change everything about the conditions around you. It's funny because earlier you called it the madness of destiny or like yeah, yeah, yeah. the <laughs> mad belief of destiny. So it really, it sounds like that's not a value of yours, um, mm. which is interesting, very interesting. <laughs> Do you feel seen by the NY Times headline, uh, an, acerbic, an acerbic millennial sex comedy that grows fangs? This was the headline for a review of your book. Yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's chill. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's apt. I think it's yeah. like a- accurate. I think it's spot on. Um, and given that sort of, it's it's quite unique. Maybe is a way of saying it. I think the popularity of the book is also because all those words are have not necessarily been seen together or aren't seen together very often. I guess I just want to know how conscious all of that was in building the story. You you mentioned a lot about just trying to be honest to the characters and to their feelings and to the experiences and, you know, um, leaning into surrealism because of the sort of absurdity of reality. But but really, you know, millennial sex comedy that grows fangs, when you're sitting behind whatever you're sitting behind when you're writing this book, is that a thing you were thinking about? Um... No, not at all. I mean, that's, I mean, it's just, that's kind of what's cool, though, is that, like, I was very surprised by just sort of the way that, like, the, you know, I mean, obviously, like, let's be real, like, the book is marketed in a certain way, and I don't really have a lot to do with that sometimes. I mean, I do to an extent, but, like, you know, it's it's very much, it sort of also just gets, uh, it also just sort of, like, people will glom onto certain things, and then that sort of becomes the narrative, um, and like, I don't think that the narratives are really like, I think they're, they're kind of right. They're just right. They're just like a different, they look at the book a, a, a differently than I sort of thought about it for myself, because like, in a way I'm incapable of looking at it always in a completely holistic sense. Like I, I, I've just been looking at it for, you know, I've been looking at it so close and I've been so immersed in it for so long that it's like, there's something kind of cool about seeing it reconstitute on the other side as like a millennial comedy about social media, because I don't like, I definitely didn't think about it as like a comedy about social. I didn't think about, about it as like a novel about social media. I was just kind of like, yeah, well, you know, people use social media. So like, this is just how these things are going to kind of work out. And then like, it did turn into this thing where I was like, oh, this sort of meshes with these themes of the screen. And so there, these things are sort of activated in a way that I didn't expect. And that was sort of a discovery while writing. And then also kind of a, a discovery in terms of the way that people took it, um, which was like, I don't know. I mean, I think it's really cool. It's like, it's cool to see like how the book comes to life without you. It's just like this little, this little guy in the world that goes out there and has like his whole life, you know, like that's, that's independent of you in a way. Definitely. I think that's the nature of, uh, you know, 
creating a book and then just letting it out there in sure, the world yeah. and having its own life. But it's interesting because I can tell you, you know, having worked working in a bookstore and like dealing with readers and customers who are who are responding to your book. On the mm-hmm. flip side, their their perception is and the 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 continuous feedback that I've gotten is what what was what how is her head what is what was it like how is it like what was going on in her head that this came out of it and I I hope that I'm not trying to sensationalize the book or like gaslight (laughs) you're not crazy um but I get that it's interesting from your perspective you weren't you know necessarily thinking about these things and it came out into the world but I'm telling you that at least from my experience from readers perspectives they're just they just want to know what the inside of your brain looks like is it like specifically about the sort of like the way that it changed over time because I mean like I will say that I was like I was very consciously like oh I want this to take a left turn at -hmm. a certain point and then I was like and I was very much thinking about like um I was thinking about this like this movie audition I was thinking Mm -hmm. a little bit about adaptation I was thinking about like movies that had done it before right Mm -hmm. and so like because I couldn't think of a book that had done it before Mm -hmm. um and so I was like is this possible can I do this with a book and at first the answer was like no like I wrote an end that was not working and it seemed random and weird and then um and then like long story short I just figured it out you know (laughs) so it was like it was it was definitely something I was thinking about that specifically but in the way that yeah but I didn't I had no idea how people would react to it for sure it's a delight (laughs) good I'm glad thank you (laughs) it's also also a delight seeing you react to how other people react it's a delight the whole experience um after experiencing a loss and you know you kind of already talked about this we were addressing social media but after experiencing a loss a character in the novel is advised to download this app that basically turns your text history with a recently deceased person into an algorithm of automated responses so the idea is that you can keep texting this person even though they've died and this novel is essentially this exploration i as is being billed and i guess surprisingly to you, um, is as something exploring our current age and social media, um, mm-hmm. and sort of places, uh, this investigation of social media through a horror lens genre. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is this because you think social media is terrifying? <laughs> um, no, I actually, I mean, that's, you know, I feel like in some ways that's a sort of, that's a conversation that, you know, could, I just don't know that I'm equipped to have that conversation specifically, but like, you know, like maybe it is. Um, But I definitely, what I do feel is that people can be horrifying and the way that their desires can be refracted through these turbocharged um, tools of, of, of social media and of advertising and the way that that works within social media and, and these images um, on social media, the way that, the way that desires and self-presentation and desires around self-presentation and, and, um, and all of, all of that, I think that they're all kind of turbocharged through these various mechanisms that just have never existed before. For, for sure. I definitely think that, I mean, I think that social media for me was kind of a, was just a method in the book to sort of dilate certain things but I don't know that I would say that it 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 in and of itself is evil or that it's like inherently it's inherently evil for sure yeah does that app that you 
input in the book and that I just described, does that sound like a scary app to you? Um, I think, I mean, I think it does sound a little scary to me, but obviously for one person in the book, it's not a scary app, which is kind of interesting, right? Like, I think it does seem kind of scary to me. And I would, that was, that app was definitely inspired by an exciting and scary movement moment that I saw in a movie. Um, there's this movie personal shopper. Yeah. Um, Olivier Sayak. Yeah, I just remember like watching the scene in the movie where there are these text messages that are sort of ostensibly coming from a ghost. And I was like, it it just totally affected me in this intense way. I was like, this is scary, but it's also like so exciting. Like this is just, as a viewer, I'm riveted. I don't think I've like, I couldn't remember the last time I'd seen anything that exciting. And it's just, you know, there are text messages on a screen. Visually, it's not that interesting, but it was just, the concept was like so exciting to me. And like, so I definitely sort of had to do my own my own little like take on it, I guess. For it sure. functioned for the same way. I, I also, you know, love that movie and it functioned in the same way for me in this novel. Every time we'd get those texts from that deceased person, I would my heart would race and and you know, yeah. sometimes it would make <laughs> too much sense and sometimes it wouldn't make much sense. But either way, there's something quite um exhilarating almost about it. Um Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad to, I'm glad that you had that reaction. I love that. Cause I mean, I will say it was like probably the most fun part of the book to write for sure. Like those text messages were definitely there. Yeah. They were just, that was so fun. In terms of exploring in the novel. Absolutely. Am I the kind of person that's ever going to download it? No, <laughs> I can't, I can't say. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I will say, I don't think that I would do that personally. But. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's funny, I guess, because I still want to talk to you about social media, but it's not yeah, really... Yeah, no, we can talk about social media. <laughs> I mean, so I have this really reductive way of talking about capitalism where I, like, call it TMM, like, too much money. Like, there's just too much oh, money okay. sometimes. All right. Do you think social media is a thing that holds too much power? Like, and was it hmm. placed in the hands of the worst generation to have it? Or is narcissism a millennial characteristic precisely because of the tools we were provided with? Oh my gosh. Oh man. I mean, listen, I'm not a sociologist. So. Right. You're a novelist. You're a novelist. Like, so we'll, so we'll, I mean, I can, I can, uh, so that's, that's, um, yeah. So that's, uh, it's sort of, it's a little hard, uh, for me to say, I mean, I definitely don't think that there's something unique about our generation that like, I don't think that we're like, I think that any generation that had this, these types of tools would end up like us basically. Um, I mean, that's my uneducated guess, but that's, that's pretty much what I, what I think. Yeah. I and in know. terms of, it's so funny because the social media is so present in this novel, but mm-hmm. uh, again, it seems like it wasn't something you were super obsessing about and writing about it. But on the flip side now, here you are, you know, in real life, quote unquote, and you're going on book events, you're, you're mm-hmm. doing podcasts, mm-hmm. you're super promoting your book um, mm-hmm. on social media, you are living in the world, you are particularly living in the world that your characters inhabit. What oh does God, that feel yes. like? Like <sighs> to go from this place where you're living in the books world, where social mm-hmm. media has mm-hmm. this role, and now the book's out and now you have to do like the best thing of like living oh, yeah. in life, but still inhabiting that social mm-hmm. media world. Mm-hmm. What is that? What is that experience like? Uh, I mean, it's kind of, honestly, it's really crazy and it's super stressful. Like I'm finding it so stressful because, you know, like for me, social media was just like, 
it was just like, uh, you know, it was fun. And I knew everyone who followed me and everyone like who I followed. No, that's not true. You know, like I, I follow a few celebrities, but like, um, I, uh, yeah, I just, it was like this kind of like fun, intimate thing. And it's sort of still kind of that to a degree, but it, it's, it's really, I feel like it changed very quickly over like two days and started to feel different. And like, and that's not even like, I literally got maybe like a hundred extra followers, like hardly, hardly any really. And it's, and the, but like, it's just weird being, feeling more public, even though I don't know that I necessarily am really more public. Mm -hmm. And, and then like, it was really wild, like taking over the little Brown Instagram account. That was, <laughs> that was just that that did feel like a lot of power i will say PMM. but it was also yes yeah it was like it was really um i don't know i mean it was it was cool but like just trying to present myself in public is very difficult because it's not the type of writing that i normally do like i spend so much i spent so many years learning how to how to write and speak in the voice of different people to sort of like assume the personas of different people. And that has sort of become my skill. And so to, to talk and write as myself is uh, overwhelming and really difficult because it's like, you know, like what, what does that, what does that mean? And like, what do, you know, and then I sort of start thinking about like, what do people expect, you know? And that's really, um, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's honestly compared to some people, it's, it's pretty chill. It's just like, it's right. just like, I don't, you know, I've never been, I've always been way more comfortable with Instagram than Twitter. I think for that reason that I don't feel comfortable just expressing myself with words as myself online. Like, that's not how I feel. I would much prefer to sort of, you know, I think, I think pictures are just a bit more flexible in terms of self-expression or whatever. I completely um, agree, but it's, yeah. it's just funny because, you know, I guess we're both book people. Yes, of <laughs> and course, yeah. We, and we prefer the medium that's like less text heavy, but yes, that's precisely definitely. why I think yes. that's so funny to hear you say that. Yeah. Weird era yeah. is all over on Instagram. I tweet once in a while, but I don't really mm -hmm. participate in like, again, the discourse or it's like, Oh, Sally Rooney's mm -hmm. trending, blah, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, but I just, it's exhausting. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah. I think you mm -hmm. were thinking about social media. And this <laughs> I'm like telling you, I think you were thinking about it a lot. Okay. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just seems like, how could you not be, um, mm -hmm. Because the things that you particularly explore, you don't really explore in the book any benefits of living through this lens. Hmm. Do you think you do? I don't think you do. Wow, it's I don't know. I mean, I sort of just didn't, I guess I just kind of accept the reality that we live in, right? Because I think that this is just how But then you made a horror are. story out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> but, you know, that's sort of just I think that's just the way that I interact with reality in general. I feel that reality is very scary and unstable. And I think that that's sort of what I'm what I'm trying to convey, which is, you know, not to like reject the idea that social media is scary because it totally is. But I sort of, you know, I don't even know that I. I don't know. I think it's I think it's like a complicated thing and it's uh it is like, yes, bad in, in some ways, but I, I sort of don't know how I, I don't know that I sort of thought about whether it's good or bad before. Like, um, 
just because it can be, it is such a, it's such a tool that other things travel through. Well, that's it. I don't think, I don't know if it's about making it good or bad, but then going back to judgment, there there seems to be a clear interest in the role of judgment in life um, Mm -hmm, and how mm -hmm. people take that up and interact with it. And then here's social media, this place rife with judgment uh, or the possibility of judgment. Um, So again, I don't think it's necessarily good or bad, but it is, uh, it it does come off as like a dangerous playground, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I think I might, I might need to, to, to think about it a little bit more. Cause I mean, I just, it's, I don't think that I, um, I think it's just so much a part of the air that we breathe that I sometimes don't, I'm not even always cognizant of it. I'm just sort of like, I mean, I definitely think that, um, yeah, like I said that I just, I think that like what, what is kind of scary is the way that sort of desires that would be, that would be present without social media or that might sort of, you know, be there without social media are then kind of intensified through it right? and turbocharged through right. it. Yeah, it's not a weird error thing. It's just making reminding me I was literally out with some buddies the other day and out of nowhere, we were just discussing um, what's your most used app on your phone? Like, what would you guess it to be? And there was one guy Mm. who was like maps. We were like, it is definitely (laughs) not maps. Like, it's definitely like iMessage or Instagram or something. You know, the thing that you're constantly, Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. would yours be? I mean, I think my most my most used app is definitely Instagram, but I would say, I think I saw somebody else saw this on, say this on Twitter the other day, and I just like really agreed with it, that my favorite app is the weather app, for sure. It's, yes. it's, it's the one that makes the most sense. <laughs> it's, it's great. I mean, it's just so, it so reliably reflects reality, and it, um, you know, and it's useful, and there's no people on it. It's, <laughs> it's just so calming, and it's got those lovely little floating cloud graphics. I just really, I'm a big fan. Your favorite, your favorite app is grounded in reality and has no people on it. I think that's yes. the point that I was trying to make this entire episode. Um, we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, Beth. This was great. Really appreciate it. Thank you so it. much for having me. Um, you know, listeners, go grab uh, a copy of A Touch of Jen on the Weird Era shelf at Librairie Saint Henry Books. Thank you. Thank you.